0: We're going to pick up our reading again in chapter 10 of the book of Acts. I will try to respect everyone's time today, as as always, sometimes without success, but I'm going to try. We've got a long passage to read, and so uh, follow along with me. At Caesarea, there was a a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one uh, of whom of the one who the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and god fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house. At the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. But to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem the circumcision party circumcision party criticized him saying you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them but Peter began and explained it to them in order I'm going to skip down to verse 17 because Peter recounts the whole thing again this is the importance that Luke places on it that he keeps giving us this account over and over to stress exactly what happened and it's a very important thing in the life of the church down to 17 it says after Peter recounts the whole uh, affair again. It says, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would uh, open our hearts to your word today and that you would, by your Spirit, apply the things that we have read in this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I would venture to say that uh, probably, if not everyone here, probably most, if not everyone here, uh, is a Gentile. So uh, this particular passage should have great uh, meaning for us, that we have been, as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans have been grafted in to the people of God and this is the great uh, event in the church when this happened. Now in the very beginning of the church, uh, Jesus shows clearly that he wanted the gospel to go into uh, every culture and national group of people. Uh, He said you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then during Pentecost in Acts chapter 1, 2, Uh, The Holy Spirit came down and initiated, in a sense, the first worship service of the New Testament church. And that service was multilingual, as we know. And uh, the audience was multicultural because there were so many people from from all over who had come uh, to Jerusalem to worship. But all these clear signals from God were not enough for the early church to see uh, that, the gospel should go to the Gentiles. It was almost exclusively Jewish in that time. And even the apostles, the very disciples of Jesus, were slow to see that the Gentiles were to be included in the church as equals. And, and uh, God has to uh, almost uh, hit Peter over the head with it uh, several times before Peter agrees to go to meet with Cornelius and his friends. But it's all part, I mean, we can go back even further to the very uh, original promise made to Abraham that he would be, uh, as God's chosen person, uh, uh, in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And actually the gospel came uh, through his seed. And so here we are at that point in history where the Gentiles are are grafted in, brought in to the church. Now I want to make two uh, brief points today. Uh, The first one is... Being nice does not make someone a Christian. Being nice does not make someone a Christian. And then secondly, being made clean by God through Jesus Christ is what makes a person a Christian. First, we're going to look at Cornelius. Cornelius was a nice person. Uh, He was one of those Gentiles who were called God-fearers in the New Testament. And a a God-fearer was a, a proselyte to Judaism, Uh, a Gentile who decided he wanted to keep the Jewish law and he was admitted into the full fellowship of the people of Israel. And there was a a threefold rite that went with that. They had to be circumcised. Uh, There was a baptism, a self-baptism in the presence of witnesses. And then uh, sacrifices were offered. Now, many Gentiles in the the day uh, became those full proselytes but some of them did not. Uh, Some of them were uh, attracted by the monotheism of Judaism and the ethical standards of the Jewish way of life. And and Cornelius would have been one of these people. I doubt that he had become fully a Jew. But you can see that that he was a good person. He prayed to the one God of Israel. In verse 2, we see that he prays regularly. Uh, He obeyed the the moral law of God. Uh, He might not have... uh, fulfilled those ceremonial regulations of the Old Testament, but he was, he was good in the sense that uh, he followed the Ten Commandments as best he could. And he also uh, was kind to the poor. It tells us that he was generous in giving alms to those who were in need. So he respected God. He prayed to God. Uh, he did godly things with his life. He was a moral person, but he was not a Christian because he hadn't even heard about Jesus yet. Uh, But he was also not a Jew, though he was probably learning things from the Jews about God, and he accepted those things and honored those things. But he was what we would call a good, moral, non-Christian, a good person. And he honored God in a general way, and he lived an exemplary, uh, just, and generous life. But not only did God... uh, uh, Cornelius respect God in this general way. amazingly enough, God has some respect for Cornelius. It tells us there in verse four that his prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial uh, before God. Now that word memorial is memorial is interesting In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the word that's used for the burnt offerings that were not sacrifices for sins, but rather they were uh, thanksgiving offerings, offerings of gratitude to God. So, in a sense, when he was giving those alms, he was giving thanks to this God whom he respected. And God took notice of that, in a way. And then in verse 35, Peter, talking about Cornelius, says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right, is acceptable to him. and this means that Cornelius lived up to the understanding and light that he had. He didn't have the full light, but what he knew about God he honored. Uh, he knew God was great and worthy of obedience and respect and gratitude, so he gave that to God. And in God and in turn, Cornelius shows uh, God shows Cornelius a certain regard. But we need to understand the nature of that regard. Now there are some people who would read that and say, well, Uh, All we have to do is fear God and do what is right to be acceptable to him. But that's not what Peter is saying. He's not saying that that you can, uh, by your works, become acceptable to God. The rest of the New Testament disagrees with that. And, of course, Peter disagrees with that. And if he were acceptable to God already, then why did Peter have to go to him in the first place and preach the gospel to him? And uh, at the end there, it tells them that they were granted repentance. Why did he have to repent if he was already uh, a clean Christian person? So he's not a Christian, but God regards him in a way. He, he doesn't think of, uh, of Cornelius as someone who is, who is uh, like the unclean foods that people were forbidden from eating, that Jews were forbidden from eating, that they were, just by touching them, uh, would make the person unclean. They weren't that kind. He wasn't that kind of, of person. And so Cornelius... Uh, you know, is, is uh, regarded as someone who could be saved. He's not someone who is, who is uh, thrown to the side and outcast. But God has regard for, he doesn't show partiality. Uh, he, he regards anyone, anyone at all. And he will say that to Peter in a moment. But through all this, we see that even though Cornelius was a nice person, One of the nicest persons that you'll ever meet, a very moral person, a generous person, yet he was not saved. He was not a Christian. It tells us that he had to repent, verse 18, and that he had to believe in Jesus Christ, his person and his word. Only then was he saved, as it tells us in verse 14 of chapter 11. Uh, Only then does he have his sins forgiven, as Peter intimates in verse 43 of chapter 10. And then only then did he receive the Holy Spirit and God take up residence in his life as we see happen at the end of chapter 10 there. So that just tells us, even though Cornelius was a great person, he was lost. And that applies to all of us as well. No matter how good and wonderful a person is, he or she cannot be forgiven and fully accepted without the gospel of Jesus Christ and the new birth, regeneration by the Holy Spirit. We cannot expect people to be saved without preaching the word of Christ. And if Cornelius needed to be saved, as good a person he was, then everyone does. Your good works cannot save you. Your moral life cannot save you. It has to come through the gospel of Christ. And that brings me to the second point. Being made clean by God through Jesus Christ, is what makes a Christian. It's not being a good person or being a nice person or a moral person. It's being cleansed by God through Christ. Now, this passage has a lot to do with the clean laws of the Old Testament. You can look back at Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 and their list there provided for the people of God as to what they could and could not eat. Uh, they, There was nothing inherently... Uh, evil about unclean foods like the oysters I ate last night and the Jews would not be able to eat those nice oysters over at uh, Half Shell and, and uh, I'll take their share. But uh, So there's, there was nothing inherently evil about them but they were forbidden by God. And you might ask ourselves, well, why would God do that? It's tempting to say, well, uh, they didn't have refrigeration at the time and you certainly don't want to eat uh, oysters who hadn't been refrigerated for a while. And there were lots of other things, but that was true in, in Jesus' day and the apostles' day as well. So it has nothing to do with hygiene. It has to do with being God's people. And what god the point that God's making with these clean laws is that they were to be different than the nations around them. And it was to be reflected in all areas of life, even in what they ate and did not eat. The people of God were to be set apart Holy, that's what the word holy means. It means to be set apart for special use. And so they should look different than the nations around them. So one of the things that caused them to look different from the nations around them were their food laws, and as well as the things that they could or could not wear. The clean laws also showed God's holiness, and that people just couldn't simply come into God's presence and be acceptable to Him. God was holy. And throughout Leviticus, the, the phrase is repeated, uh, I am holy, therefore you must be holy. And so you you, you uh, went through all these, uh, following these instructions on cleaning the food and eating certain things and going through certain rituals, and it was a picture of God's holiness and that as his people, we should be holy as well. It's very difficult to keep the clean laws. We, you know, if you've just been reading through Leviticus and your reading plan that uh, we have in the church, uh, you, you'll see there that there's lots of details about things that you couldn't help that would make you unclean until evening. And so there was a lots of thought uh, built into the system that God gave the Jews to help them understand whether they were clean or not clean. And if you followed all that, you would realize that most of the time I'm unclean. And that was a point that God was making to them. They needed to be cleansed. And so there was a continual need for substitutionary sacrifice. Of course, that's pointing us to Jesus because He's the ultimate substitutionary sacrifice in our place once and for all. We didn't have to continue to go back with with sheep and uh, bulls and goats to get ourselves clean before God. Christ did it once for all. That's what these clean laws was pointing to, our need for cleanliness, our unholiness, God's holiness. It should have been a humbling experience for the Jews, but over time, it did just the opposite. It caused them to be spiritually proud. They began to think, hey, we're the ones who have these, we follow these rules and laws, and that makes us better than everybody else. The Gentiles are excluded. And so uh, they they are people we don't even want to associate with. We shouldn't, we shouldn't even touch them or have anything to do with them. We are separate from them, and we're better than them. See, that kind of attitude crept into their way of thinking, and they thought they were superior because, hey, we're a little bit better at keeping some rules than the Gentiles are. So when we do get to the New Testament time, we find there that Gentiles are considered inherent outcasts. And Jewish rules followers are God's accepted people. But Jesus, of course, blew that up. Uh, He said, that's not the way it is. Mark 7, for example. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. See, Jesus paints everybody with the same brush. It's the heart that's the problem. It's not what you eat or refrain from eating. Uh, It's not your good deeds, even. It's your heart that's the problem. And he levels the playing field. All are sinners. Even nice people like Cornelius. They're all sinners and are in need of divine intervention to make them clean and acceptable to God. You cannot, through your work, make yourself clean and acceptable to God. It is the action of God, and that's clear in this passage. Look at what he says in verse 15 of chapter 10. When Peter receives the vision, the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Made or make clean is the operative word there. God is the one that makes someone clean. And then in verse 18 of chapter 11, the very last verse of our passage, uh, the circumcision party that uh, finds out about what Peter's doing and hears Peter's explanation, they glorify God at the end and says, yes, Even to the Gentiles, God has granted the repentance that leads to life. God has granted it to them. God has done something in their lives. He's granted them repentance. He's cleansed them from their sins. And of course, we know how He's done it. He has provided the ultimate substitutionary sacrifice in Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins, and as Peter proclaimed to Cornelius and his household and friends, It's through faith in this Savior, this Christ, this One who was put to death but who rose from the grave. It's through Him that there's forgiveness of sins. Through Him is salvation. See, salvation is not a matter of our pedigree or our achievement, but it is the result of the action of God. So nothing is inherently or permanently unclean. No one is The Gentiles who were ceremonial unclean were they were like the unclean animals in the sheep, mixed in with the clean animals who represented the Jews. And when when God cleanses someone from sin, then they're all equal. They're all part of God's family. And they should be treated as equals in the family of God. No one, this should remind us, is inherently beyond God's ability to cleanse. God can cleanse anyone. In any place. He can cleanse you today. No one should be considered unsavable by God. Because it's an action of God. And He has all power to cleanse. And He's provided the way of that happening through Christ. Through Jesus Christ. The religion of good works will definitely give some people the right to feel superior to others. You might think I'm better than so and so over here who doesn't live up to my standards. But the gospel of grace means that no saved person can feel superior to any other saved person because it's all by grace alone that we're saved. It's all by the work of God in our lives through Christ. And may God grant us all the repentance that comes to life. We need to ask ourselves, have we been cleansed by Christ? Or are we trying to cleanse ourselves? Are we like Cornelius, living a good moral life even? doing uh, maybe even some religious things. But have we truly been cleansed by the blood of Christ? Have we turned from our sins and put our faith in Him alone for salvation? Let's ask the Lord to do that now in prayer.